Hi everyone and welcome to the DevMar Debugged podcast, where experts from top companies all over the world share their insights on everything developer marketing. Today we're talking to Martin Yeret, CEO of CodeMagic. Uh, so hi Martin, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Teresa. So our topic for this episode is all about the best features for enterprise plan customers. But before we really get into it, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you've done in your career uh, to lead you to where you are today? I used to be a chemist. Uh, I was studying organic chemistry in the UK. Uh, but um, I one day discovered that um, I don't look up to a lot of chemists. Uh, chemistry is fun, but I was afraid if I go down this path, then um, I, I may, may not be happy. So I decided to change and uh, went into uh, kind of this startup world with software developers and apps. And it was quite fun. Uh, I did my first startup, which was a mobile application. Did not work out. Uh, and then uh, I joined uh, corporate consulting, boring. And then I went back to startups and uh, now I'm building code magic. So, so many things like so different starting as a chemist to where you are. Wow. Um, so can you also tell me a little bit about code magic and uh, how the company came to be and what you do? So with code magic, uh, I am not the founder of the company. So I uh, started off as a business development person. Um, the company itself, we used to be a mobile development agency. And that was back in 2010, 2012. And uh, back in that day, it was kind of the first uh, products that offered some kind of cloud infrastructure for mobile developers or um, DevOps people started to come around. So Jenkins was becoming more and more popular. And um, Travis, for example, which was a continuous integration and delivery service from Germany started to come around. So uh, we at the time launched a similar product as well, which was a continuous integration and delivery service similar to Travis, but we did it for mobile developers. And uh, CodeMagic is like a, a second generation or third generation of our pro products. Uh, so we launched it in 2018 uh, in collaboration with uh, Google when they came out with uh, Flutter, which was a mobile development SDK. So we were the CI/CD partner for Flutter developers. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, thanks for that. And so, as I mentioned, we were talking about enterprise plans. So, you know, let's dig into that. Uh, for someone who might be on the fence about creating one, what would you say would be the main benefits of having having it to offer? You know, they're saying that 90% uh, of your revenue comes from 10% of your customers. Um, hmm. When you are small, then you often think that it is a... Um, sometimes like, uh, I don't know, tear in the universe, or it is an anomaly that shouldn't exist that we have this one guy that pays a lot of money. It's true. The mm. bigger you get, there will be more and more of those guys. So you can either decide to ignore them or try to uh, make an effort to help them use your product. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And is that how um, your own enterprise plan at CodeMagic came about? Was that why? No, uh, <laughs> the, I think um, when I joined, uh, I didn't have a lot of experience um, 
but uh, I was very eager. And I saw all these uh, other tools had uh, enterprise plan. And I thought I was doing business development and let's uh, create the enterprise page. <laughs> so that was, that's the, the, the reality of it is that you just created something that said enterprise page and we put the price tag on it and uh, said like, okay, that's our enterprise plan now. Um, and in the beginning, it didn't work. Like nobody contacted us. And that's literally all we did. We said enterprise plan, code magic product starts at $6,000 a year contact us and um but uh, over time you do get some people reaching out and that was the surprising yeah. thing and <laughs> then that's when, the, when it becomes a little more interesting yeah yeah so then after that um what did you do to kind of we thought oh you know this is working somewhat maybe not too well but uh what can we do to explore this a little bit more and make it work what next steps did you take I think that in the beginning, we were trying to, uh, un like, uh, how, how do I say this? Mm -hmm. If you're getting requests in, it is a very, very strong indicator that a person wants to buy your product. So the first thing we were trying to do, or what I was trying to do, is to just close those deals. So whoever reached out to us, I was trying to close this deal. And that was basically all I did. And then... Um, Later, I hired a, uh, because I, I don't have an engineering background, then I hired um, an engineer who also was interested in doing this uh, kind of a customer engineering or sales. Um, and then uh, we worked together on trying to close those deals that are coming in. So, and this was, it, it's more complicated than you might think. It's mm. not as simple as like a person reaching out saying, I want to buy your product. It, it, it gets quite tricky. And uh, so what we did was we were trying to build like uh, um, easier onboarding uh, uh, docs for the those enterprise customers because they had uh, usually some complicated setup or something that they, and they didn't have a lot of time to uh, configure everything because they said like, okay, we got this two weeks, go ahead and try and see if you can adopt this product. Uh, so a lot, lot of our efforts were in the team were based on how can we close those incoming leads? So that that was that was I think the right, most, the bulk of the work. Quite curious about that actually. So is it um you provide this ongoing support then when people um obviously you know want to adopt your product? So do you help them during that process? And is that how it works? Yeah, I think that's the one kind of benefit. Uh, like a good and a bad thing about this enterprise plan that uh, the good thing is that you get to learn a lot about the customer because you are in a, you have a human touch with them so if they reach out to you they say that they're interested and they know exactly what problem they have that's another good thing about the enterprise plan guy customer is that they spend some time thinking about the product specs what they need to solve or if they're switching from something then they know exactly why they're switching or what mm. they're looking for and uh, so the good thing is that it gives us uh, very good customer insights. But the bad thing is that you're spending time on one customer when they can just read the docs and self-service themselves. So that's <laughs> the bad part. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then in the end, like sometimes it may happen that, you know, you spend so much time on this uh, one customer and then they end up uh, not buying the enterprise plan, which is this expensive one, but they just go ahead and buy the self-service plan, which costs like half the money and even less than that. But they, 
they use this free onboarding service, but in the end, end up not buying the expensive enterprise plan. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so I see this quite a lot. Um, a bit of a balance there then, just trying to juggle everything. And yeah, I, know, I understand that. And um, I guess that kind of brings me as well to the features of the plan itself. So, um, or, you know, the process of building one. Um, so I suppose you have to have all that in mind. You have to think of the client when you're creating um, a plan. So what would you say would be the, the main thing that people should have on their plans? Mm -hmm. I think this is, uh, I wrote an article about this as well. It's my first personal blog article. And um, I think the motivation for uh, describing enterprise plan features in the way that I do is, uh, is from this uh, previous problem that you get the customers reaching out wanting an enterprise plan, but in reality, they don't need it. So they, they still use the pay-as-you-go plan or some other self-serve plans that might be available. Um, so how do, you, how do you protect yourself against that? How do you make sure that you are targeting the right buyer or you're targeting the right end user? And um, this is why I think that the enterprise plan is mostly uh, a way to buy the product, nothing else. Um, if they cannot use a company credit card, they need to buy some enterprise plan. And that is what I wanted to highlight in this enterprise page. And what I, I think that uh, you should talk about in your uh, enterprise fee plan features, be it uh, you can offer them uh, uh, some specific uh, service level agreement, whether you can uh, support the resellers, whether you mm. can onboard to a vendor registration platform, something, whether you can fill in security questionnaires. All of these sound like things you hate and you never want to do, but uh, <laughs> you'll be surprised how much people are willing to pay for just these really, really basic things that uh, just require a human touch. And uh, that's kind of the features that I would highlight. Because if you're looking at the product, you're not looking, you've already done the proof of concept in a way. You already know what, you, what you're look, looking for in most cases, you know, with our customers at least. So the only cases when they're buying the enterprise plan is that uh, they're convinced of the product and they just cannot use the card. So they need to away from where, where can I, who do I contact in order to re register this company mm. or who do I contact to fill in the security questionnaire? And then they look at the enterprise page and that's where you can highlight uh, what services can you offer to help the customer buy your product. Yeah, that's really interesting what you're saying about the human touch. Do you, have you noticed that, that if once you start offering that um, sort of, you know, I'm here to help, um, that it is, you experience a bit more success or people are more willing to um purchase a product or even go talking to, you know, the person who's responsible for buying a product once they have that um, human touch. We haven't tried it, actually. We haven't mentioned human touch anywhere on the enterprise plan page, but uh, if, just thinking back, like that's uh, at the end of the day, what they need is someone from our side who is a human, but mm. we haven't, we ha we've never tried to uh, like message it that way. What we've tried to do is instead uh, try to think like, who, what is the task that the buyer needs to complete? So does he need a quote? Does he need an invoice? Does he mm. need bank transfer? Does he need something like that? Like where and where can I provide this information to the buyer? Yeah, there we, we do we do that on the enterprise page. Yeah, um, anticipating their yeah. needs and kind of understanding what 
what they're looking for. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because this uh, is because this, and and this is this is completely different to if you're selling the product. But if you're selling the product and putting it on the pricing page, then there you do your job of making sure that the people know like uh, how product is priced, how um, uh, which features do they get. Uh, and uh, these types of things. But in the enterprise plan page there, we just say how you can buy it. So. Mm. I guess that's what you said about the um, the people already knowing what they're looking for once they get to that page. So yeah, yeah, that does make sense. So in that case, um, what would you say? Like what other features should people have uh, when they're trying to build their um, enterprise plan? What should they be thinking of adding in extra on top of what you mentioned. I think that's it. Like it's, it's just as simple as putting a contact form. I think the, what the, what people are maybe interested in is like, uh, is this uh, fear of selling enterprise plans? Because um, if you get the really, really big uh, company uh, trying to buy your product for a hundred times more than your average customer is paying, like, let's say that somebody comes in and offers you 500,000 or $100,000 for a year. Mm. Um, but they require you to build some custom product for them. Like that is the typical case where I see that uh, people are hesitant to start offering this plan. Um, and I am as well. Like I I can never get uh, some, you know, your customer comes and says like, hey, can you guys build uh, some some special product for us in order for us to buy it's really difficult to get this past the CTO uh, and uh, to get the entire team on board as well, which is mm -hmm. like, why are we, why are we building our product roadmap in the first place where we have this, uh, <laughs> this uh, guy from nowhere coming and saying like, they'll pay us uh, 500K and then we'll build some features. Um, I think that is like usually what, where people are saying, um, don't offer enterprise plan because it's, it's not uh, good for you in the long run. And what I'm saying is that you shouldn't do that either, but the way you should think about enterprise plan is that just use it as a payment method, basically. Use it as like an enterprise payment method right. is what the enterprise plan is. Yeah. So is that why you uh, kind of chose to take a little bit more of a satirical uh, approach to the topic, as you mentioned in the page? Yeah. This, yeah. So in the, in the blog article, I mentioned a lot of these um, <clears throat> same features of an enterprise payment method. And um, it, it, it's really funny or when you think about it and people hate the, like contract negotiations with lawyers from other sides, especially if you're a small startup, it, it seems like there is no value added in there. Hmm. It seems like just a bureaucratic process that you just need to carry out in order to, at the end of the day, the developers are already using your product. Right. You're just trying to get it, get, get it past this vendor onboarding stuff. And, and it seems so stupid, but uh, but uh, people are willing to pay a lot of money for this. Uh, so you can ignore it or you can listen to the buyer and uh, try to make it better for them. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of truth in that, though, um, because if people are uh, as already hesitant to build one, as you say, then having this, you know, satirical as it may be, I do think it provides quite a lot of useful information for people to, you know, think, oh, you know, this might be more on the admin side, but I do need to do this. Uh, so I do think there's quite a lot of value on having something like that. And yeah, um, would you like to explore on some of them, some of these uh, topics you mentioned, for example, um, 
uh, remediation plan would you be willing to you know just uh, talk a little bit more about what that is and why you included it sure yeah so uh in the article that i wrote i say what are the top 10 features of enterprise plan and um i think it was like five or six where i put the security questionnaires and this is a thing that drives uh, technical people uh, crazy uh, a lot of the times at least uh, i find it really difficult to get my cto to sit down with me and go through the security questionnaire um it consists of hundreds or if not thousands of questions about um do you lock your office doors do you have video surveillance in place who has key card access and we are a remote company and like one of our senior backend engineers just lives on a boat in the middle of nowhere <laughs> wow. like he doesn't have a <laughs> he doesn't have servers in the boat or something like this like how, how do you how do you apply these like uh, 2000 like 1980s uh, rules to a modern world right and, um, and uh, but uh, you still you fill them in you do your best you send it out and um, uh, some people will say no uh, so they will not buy it and some people will say yes they it's fine they just it's a tick in the box and then there is a third group of people that say that uh, the developers really want to buy this product but the security questionnaire is not good enough so right. your security is, is not up to the standard that we would need from our vendors. And there's a good reason for that, you know, that they have contractual obligations that, uh, that they need to fulfill to their customers. So therefore, they need to apply similar standards to the vendors that they're trying mm. to buy from. And uh, here is where the remediation plan comes in. So if your security questionnaire is not up to standard for the buyer, and uh, but they still have a big motivation to use your product, so then you can offer something called the remediation plan, which is in between a priority feature request and uh, uh, and building a product roadmap for a specific customer. Mm. An example of this can be that um, we didn't used to have a single sign-on, for example. Uh, so we offered only uh, email login with a magic link, and we also offered uh, this um, OAuth uh, sign-ins by uh, different Git providers. So then they, one of the hard requirements was that uh, we can we can pass you through if you uh, build a single sign-on functionality, and you also uh, do an independent uh, third-party uh, penetration test of your mm. security systems. Uh, and then they had like uh, nine, eight other items as well. So now you get into this game of um, let's put the date when we should expect them, uh, these items. So right. out of 10 items, we, we can guarantee that, okay, with this SSO thing and uh, uh, and the independent uh, security audit, we, we can get these done in the next four months. But the other eight items, let's revisit in uh, six months or 12 months. So this is something that you can do um, to... Uh, if, if you have a big enterprise buyer who really, really wants to use your product, so the remediation plan is something that you can you can do to help them buy your product by giving some leeway into the feature development because at the end of the day, SSO and independent security audit it requires very little resource from development team. And then, uh, but you can get potentially a bigger uh, customer on board uh, who contrary to what a lot of people say in our experience enterprise customers require very little customer support hmm. they 
generally know exactly what they're doing compared to pay-as-you-go or freemium customers who require a majority of customer support. So doing this uh, in, in order to get a bigger customer, I think it's worth the effort, yeah. Yeah, so kind of like being flexible and able to adapt to the client's needs as well. Like if the product isn't exactly how we want, can you do this, this and this and kind of help? Yeah, I know that's, um, that's really good, good, a good feature to, um, or a good a good thing to add. And again, that's why I said that I think even with the satirical approach, there's uh, quite a lot of uh, really good points here. And speaking of the security questions, I'm just out of my own curiosity as well. Um, you mentioned like thousands of them. Is this something that you have to actually sit down and come up with like one by one and think of everything? And wow, so that yes. takes quite a long time, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. A thousand might be an exaggeration, but uh, 400 and 200 is not. Mm. So it's realistic that you do get to 200, 400 questions uh, uh, per customer. And you would think that these are uh, standard questions. Everybody has the same ones. They either follow one guide or another, but uh, no. Mm. Everybody has different different ones, um, and uh, that well, not not completely different. But um, the devil is in the detail, you know. That uh, you try to start documenting these answers so that you uh, like uh, next person you hire can already look at the pre-existing uh, answers and questions and maybe work uh, way backwards from there. But there will always be questions that are new and always questions that require um, other people's input. Right. So it's something, a long process, so I can understand, um, yeah, that is kind of difficult to get together with your CTO, as you said, and <laughs> review everything and make sure everything's, yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, is this, as you mentioned, that people were, you know, happy to go through them, though, the, you know, clients? So do you have... Have you had to um, adapt them at any point or just say, you know, unfortunately, you do have to do this, you have to fill this out or people are just happy to do it? And, yeah. I think clients hate it as well. I don't <laughs> think they also like it. <laughs> so, it's just necessary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You have, a, you have a really, really long process before you can adopt a new tool. Mm. Uh, in many, many cases you will avoid adopting new software technologies uh, altogether because uh, why would you? You cannot use it in your current client's work. It will take at least three months in order to get the software approved mm. or at least six months or nine months for that matter, depending on how, how, how long it is. But it will take a really, really long time before you can actually start using the software. So the developer is not motivated to do it. Maybe the team lead has something in place, like uh, if they can push it through some uh, quarterly meeting or something that, you know, we should uh, modernize our tool sets, you know. Um, so then the team lead is pushing it like, okay, I really want to use these guys. Like I, li I like their product. So can we please yeah. get this across the board? Okay, here is a here is a hundred kilometers of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of, of obstacles that you have to like go through. And if they're if they're motivated, they will go through it. So it's it, it, I think it, it it's a frustration with the status quo that causes the team leads to, or at right. least the enterprise buyer to, to to actually go through it and and fill in these questionnaires. Yeah. Yeah, but fortunately, it's necessary. Yeah. So it makes sense. And um, another thing I found interesting is you mentioned account managers uh, in your blog uh, of something to consider when creating a plan. Is Could you tell me a little bit more about that? 
uh, I, I haven't yet uh, discovered uh, uh, a good reason or a good way to sell this account manager service. Uh, to be, and this is partly on me that I haven't done the customer research enough. But if I'm comparing quotes from competitors, for example, in our field, then I can see that they explicitly highlight an account manager in their uh, offer or in their quote when they make a quote to the customer. We haven't done that. And uh, I think uh, one of the things that it affects, I think, is uh, potentially the, uh, the price. So if you have a, if you explicitly say yeah, you can offer account manager services, then currently the only thing that I, I can see that it affects is the price. So if mm. you can maybe offer a higher, higher price if you have an account manager there. And uh, whoever understands account manager service will understand it. Whoever doesn't understand it, they won't understand it. Um, but, uh, but in general, I find that uh, you shouldn't uh, try to um, kind of um, tier this enterprise plan. Uh, you should just put one price includes everything uh, if mm. it makes sense. Uh, so you should make it uh, make as little options there as possible. Um, because, uh, yeah, it's just it, the, the less complicated you can make it, the better. Um, Account managers in, in, in our company, for, for our, our customers, what they do is remind them that they have a renewal coming up. So uh, they, surprisingly, you, you, it's very difficult to automate this. Uh, that uh, <laughs> you, you can try to send these emails, but uh, sometimes it just requires to reach out from different places. And then this is like uh, one thing account manager does is remind that they have a renewal coming up or... Then the uh, second thing they do is sometimes the customer has some uh, product feedback to give. Uh, then uh, having somebody in our company that listens to them and they and says to them that, you know, I've relayed your feedback onto the development team. Uh, it, it is somewhat reassuring. Hmm. The, and it may improve retention, but I haven't measured it personally. No, no, that's uh, no, that's a valid point. I do feel like with account managers, um, they can be there to provide, I guess, as well, like a liaison sort of role, you know, and a go-between, which can be quite helpful as well if you kind of want to focus on specific tasks or, or on a product, and then the account manager can take care of the rest. And yeah. And another thing you did mention just now was uh, the price. And I was actually um, going to ask about that. Uh, the idea of just having um, one price only and coming up with the right one, I suppose. So how did you come up with yours? And uh, I suppose you just answered that, you know, you just have one to make it easier. But how how then do you get to that right one? I think a similar question can be asked about uh, non-enterprise plans as well. So how do you come up with any pricing? Um I guess that what's the difference, right, between this pay-as-you-go pricing and enterprise plan pricing? Uh, when uh, when I come up with uh, pricing for pr product itself, so if we have this pay-as-you-go pricing or, or something, then I it's a it's a fairly straightforward math equation. You do your gross margins uh, and you calculate your uh, retail price. Um, how do you do that for enterprise plan? Well, you can't. Um, it, it, it's mostly like a testing game in a way. You you put the price where your 
you're willing to do the work mm. in a way. Like that's the honest truth, how I come up with it, is that you put a price that is motivating enough for you to do the work. Uh, so, because the, there is a lot of work, it, it shouldn't be underestimated. Um, some people refer to it as uh, some enterprise tax that you put uh, the ad on top, but in, in reality, I think it, it has to do with like uh, what is motivating for the team to do uh, and uh, for uh, for the dev team as well, for that matter. Like, um, why would you pay more attention to one customer over another? Mm. Like, you should answer that question. So what, and uh, is there a good formula for this? I haven't discovered one. If there is no one, then I might be interested. But um, yeah, we started off with 6,000. And then uh, I tried this tiered approach where 6,000 is minimum to get an invoice from us. Mm. And then uh, we said like 12,000 is what is required for an SLA, for example, which is the service level agreement. And then um, <clears throat> what we discovered was that uh, a lot of customers who said they wanted the 6,000 one still wanted the SLA or still wanted the security questionnaire. And uh, so just to make things easier, we just said, okay, let's just put the higher price. Oh, okay. Maybe similar to how you maybe similar to how the US put the drinking age limit. You know, each state has the different ages, and then they just put the highest number in the end. <laughs> maybe it's like that. I don't know. I uh, know. I I find that's a very honest and refreshing uh, approach. To be honest, um, usually I I think people would say, oh, you know, you have to check the market. You know, see what's out there. Kind of compare with competitors and all that. So. I like the idea of, you know, the team needs to work on this, so they need to see the value as well. And no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I really, um, and I, I, I do like that approach of at the beginning that you said, you know, you had the 6,000, but then even with the higher one, people still wanted it, which also showcases the value of your product. So uh, I guess the proof is in the pudding, as people say. So, yeah. Um, but that's the odd thing, isn't it? It, it, it? it doesn't really show the value of the product. The same guys that are buying it for twelve thousand, they're gonna buy it for the other price as well. Like for uh, who is it valuable for? It's just this payment method that's valuable. <laughs> is that otherwise they couldn't buy it? I, I don't know. I'm I'm still uh, <laughs> that, that that's the that's the odd part, which is that you know, which is this where is the satire in in all all of this? It's mm. that uh, you. You, you add bureaucracy to add value, which is sounds so silly, but uh, for some reason, like that's how money moves. I, I, yeah. I don't know why, but it is. Yeah, no, I completely understand what you're, what you're saying. Um, it's business, isn't it? Uh, but yeah. Um, so is there anything else uh, you'd like to add uh, or like to leave our listeners with in regards to uh, the enterprise plan, just anything? you think they should have or anything they should think about? I think the pricing one is an interesting question. Yeah, um, but uh, you need to experiment and uh, you'll be surprised. Um, test your limits, yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. You just go for it and uh, you know, you'll be surprised at the success. That's really good. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, talking to me about this. And I do find it a very interesting topic. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting yeah. Teresa. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of DevMar Debugged. If you want to hear more from professionals in the developer marketing world, subscribe to our podcast for more expert talks. See you on the next one.